Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our teacher, Steve Butler. We are in a series right now exploring the important prophecy terms found in God's Word. You can follow along with our free study guide that you can download from our website. Simply visit whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Click on the program name, Exploring Bible Prophecy, and there you will find our free study guide. Right now, Steve is exploring the important prophecy term, the Son of God. So open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy. Hello and welcome once again to Exploring Bible Prophecy. In today's program, we are continuing in our series entitled Important Prophecy Terms, and we are looking at seven sets of terms, uh, two, two terms each. So a total of 14, and we are comparing and contrasting, for instance, in point number one, as you see on your worksheet, the Son of God and the Son of Man, realizing that both of them are indeed Jesus Christ. But if we, and I believe from a study of the Bible, that as you go through and you understand how the term the Son of God and the Son of Man are used uh, throughout the New Testament, it helps you immediately zero in and have a much better, deeper understanding of what is being said by the author through the leading of the Holy Spirit. And you come to an understanding that the Son of God is coming with rewards and salvation, and the Son of Man is coming with judgment. And that is the key difference between these two. It's the same person of Jesus Christ, but he is manifesting himself in different ways, and in the way he manifests himself, he identifies himself with either the Son of God or the Son of Man. Because remember uh, the, the basic understanding, if you believe that Jesus Christ is God, that he came to this earth, took on the form of a man, the, like, the likeness of man, suffered all of the temptations from Satan as a man would so that mankind could fully uh, identify with him and then his offer of salvation. If you accept that offer of salvation, then you identify him as the Son of God. But if you do not accept that, if you deny who he is, which is what, for instance, Israel did, and we'll cover that in just a moment again as a review, if you deny him, you deny his deity, then you think of him, you see him, you refer to him as the Son of Man. The Son of Man. And I want to differentiate that because if you have um, been studying your Old Testament over any period of time, you know that Ezekiel and other prophets are referred to from time to time in their books as the Son of Man. And it's lowercase the lowercase, the son of man, because indeed they are. They are born of the flesh of a man and a woman coming together. So the point I want to make here is that the son of man is coming to judge those who do not or have not believed him for who he uh, was prophesied to be, to come, obviously represented himself as such when he came 2,000 years ago. And he will uh, very definitely, again, at his second coming, uh, present himself as the Son of Man to come and judge. But for us, believers, uh, the church, we see him as the glorious Son of God, the, the, the Son of the living God. 
And to by way of a really quick review here, we were in Matthew chapter 16, and that is one of the key pivotal passages in the Bible as represented in the book of Matthew, realizing that it's also in, in others of the Gospels. But I like Matthew because of the way it represents it. In Matthew 16, <clears throat> this is where Jesus is calling his 12 disciples back in. In Matthew 10, he sent them out to share the gospel, the good news of the gospel of the kingdom, that everything that had been prophesied in the Old Testament that um, regarding Israel, and of course the New Testament is basically about Israel, the, New, the Old Testament promises, the Old Testament covenants that had been prophesied, he was there in human form on the earth in Israel to bring about, to bring to fruition, in the, on the condition that Israel would recognize him for who he was, the Son of God. And we went through uh, the early, very early chapters in, in Luke and so forth where uh, he's identified as the Son of God when he was born. So that's who he came to represent. And um, Jesus sent the 12 apostles out in Matthew 10 to share that good news that the kingdom of was here if they would accept Jesus. So they would say the kingdom is near. In other words, we're st- we're basically standing in front of you as representatives of Jesus, and in ca- other cases, Jesus himself would say, the kingdom is near to you, meaning I'm standing right here in front of you. You're looking at the king of the kingdom if you will simply recognize me as such. Believe that I am who I say that I am. <clears throat> And as simple as <laughs> as simple as that should be, they denied him. They denied him, and of course, the main thing was the leadership denied him. And as the scriptures tell us, the New Testament scriptures tell us that if they had accepted him, these unbelieving uh, Pharisees and Sadducees and so forth would lose all their influence, lose their power, or at least the power that they believed that they had. They would have a whole different power and influence if they had believed Jesus because it was through the priests and whatnot that the word, the good news, was going to be shared with Israel, and they refused it because they they sensed an earthly power struggle with this guy named Jesus, and they did not want him to win the power struggle. So ultimately they had him killed. So in, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus calls the apostles back in and asks them, who do the people say that I am? And you'll recall that in verses 13 through 18, they were relating to him that the people said, you are a prophet, Jeremiah, whoever, John the Baptist, you're anybody but who you are, that you really are. And then Jesus asks the the most important question. He says, who do you say that I am? And that's when Peter speaks up and makes the great profession that you are Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus looks at Peter, renames him, calls him Peter, which is, means a chip, and he says, on this rock, this boulder, which he's, he's referring to the statement that Peter made. He's not referring to Peter, because the word, the Greek word for Peter and the Greek word for rock are two different words. Peter is a chip, rock is a boulder. And he's basically saying, your profession, Peter, is what I'm going to build my church on, which would be yet future. Remember, the church 
did not come into existence until the infilling of the Holy Spirit into the apostles in um, Acts chapter 2, and then they shared that with, you know, the 3,000 people that day. And it's that at that point where the ministry changes. So he was offering the kingdom to Israel. Israel denied it. So he, in, in being a covenant-keeping God, Jesus is a covenant-keeping God, he did not throw away that promise. He merely postponed it. It will be fulfilled at his second coming. But he postponed it at that time and changed his ministry basically 180 degrees and went from preaching along with his 12 apostles the good news, the gospel of the kingdom, to the gospel of grace or individual salvation. And he says, I'm going to turn my focus now to a people who weren't even seeking me. And he's basically talking about believing Gentiles and Jews. Remember, the church is Jew and Gentile together. Those that would accept him purely on faith. They didn't need the signs. They didn't need the miracles. They would believe Jesus purely on faith. And he said it's through that faith that they will receive salvation and uh, eternal life. And it's at that point right there that he changes his ministry. And I, I pointed out as we, we moved on there in, John, in Matthew chapter 16 down to um, verses uh, 21 and 22 that you see there on your worksheet is where he um, tells them for the first time, the first time ever, that he's going to have to go to Jerusalem now and he's going to have to be um, falsely accused, crucified on a cross, buried, but on the third day he would arise. So that's where he initiates that, the basis, if you will, the basis for the gospel of grace or of personal salvation that would be directed not at Israel, although Jews could accept it, and, and, and some did. For instance, the apostles obviously did, and they are part of the church. But Israel in general rejected it, but there were people that would accept it. And of course, when Paul and the apostles spread out, but particularly Paul went up into Turkey, um, Asia Minor, as it was back then, that uh, the, the gospel of grace exploded. So that's where we see this. And now because he's uh, crucified and resurrected, he is now the son of God who will now come back at his second coming for Israel. But because Israel would be still unbelieving, up to the point of his second coming, he's coming back as the son of man, coming back to a nation and a world uh, that do not recognize him as the son of God. Because remember, this is at the end of the seven-year tribulation when he does come back the second time to offer the kingdom to Israel. And the people that are on the earth, called the earth dwellers in Revelation, um, will by and large not accept him. So he's coming back to judge. So I wanted to, to look at that uh, as a kind of a foundation, because as we move on in our last program, we actually finished up with uh, Acts chapter 8, and this is a an account of Philip, <clears throat> who was one of the chosen deacons, if you will, of the church in Jerusalem, and he was going around Israel sharing the good news, and he came across the Ethiopian eunuch. And this is just a very, very few years after the um, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You remember in Acts chapter 7, that is Stephen's review of Jewish history, 
And we'll actually be going back and looking at a little bit of that because he uses the term um, son of man in there. We need to understand how he used that because he was obviously a believer. Um, But looking in Acts chapter 8, and we went to 37, and this was Philip uh, came across the Ethiopian eunuch who was looking at a passage in Isaiah and said he couldn't understand it. And uh, Philip offered to um, tell him about that, and the Holy Spirit came to the Ethiopian eunuch uh, when uh, after Philip had preached Jesus to him, which we find in, in Acts chapter 8, verse 35. But I want us to look specifically down there at verse 37, Acts chapter 8, 37. And it says, And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. Because in verse 36, he'd asked if he could be baptized. Uh, continuing in verse 37, and he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So that is the same statement that Peter had made in Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus asked them, who do you, looking at the apostles, who do you say that I am? And he said, on that statement of Peter's, I will build my church. So here we have an example of somebody who is now part of the church. We'll see this Ethiopian eunuch in heaven. You and I will uh, when we're raptured up there because he is uh, part of the church. So we see that the profession was, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Then let's stay in Acts chapter, uh, Acts, and let's move to chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. And we come to Paul and his experience in Philippi, which is up in um, Greece, in Philippi, in the very northeastern corner of Greece, a little bit northeast, actually, of uh, Thessalonica, where First and Second Thessalonians uh, was addressed to. And we find that uh, he's been put in jail, and um, then there was a great miracle that took place, and the jail doors were opened. And, of course, if you know anything about your uh, your history at that time, if you were a responsible authority like the jailer who was in charge of the jail, and if you had a criminal, particularly if he was in there for the, the highest charges like Paul was, that you would have to suffer his penalty, which would have been death. So he was really consider, uh, seriously considering killing himself and then Paul intervened here, and that's where we have this in, in chapter uh, 16 of Acts, starting at verse um, 30, and it says, and after he brought them out, this is Paul and Silas, he looked at him, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And that's along the same lines as what we just read in Acts chapter 8 with the Ethiopian eunuch. What must I do to be saved? Verse 31, they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And he took, and he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wombs, and immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them, and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. 
So I want to use a couple of points here in verse 31 and then combine it with, with verse 34. It's talking about believing in the Lord Jesus. And then it says in verse 34, believed in God. So while it doesn't specifically use the term the Son of God, I think it's very clear that that's what we're talking about. There's nothing about a Son of Man in here, that they're talking about Jesus being God, understanding the triune Godhead and referring to him as the Lord Jesus. So again, back to the Ethiopian eunuch, back to Peter's profession back in Matthew 16, that it's merely a profession, a recognition in your mind, and more importantly, in your heart. It's a heartfelt, heart-believing faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that it was an immaculate conception between the Holy Spirit and Mary, that he is not the Son of a man, that he is indeed God himself. And the other point I wanted to make, because a lot of times people will take this particular passage right here and talk about group salvation just through one person getting saved, because it says in verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. So he goes on to clarify it. He says, and they, Paul and Silas, so they were talking to the whole household, spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And apparently, each individual in that house was saved through their personal hearing of the gospel. So this wasn't something that the house believed because dad did. And some people teach that, some people believe that. I don't think you find that anywhere in Scripture. Each individual person, remember this is now the gospel of grace, This is the gospel of individual salvation, and each person must make a decision in their heart for Jesus. They must come to that understanding that leads to faith, that uh, he is who he says he is, and that he is the son of the living God, and only he can forgive sins, and only he can grant eternal life. This is a, a key passage here with a lot of good meat in it. But the point was, it was simply a belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and you would be saved. So we see some good examples, uh, the example being established with Peter. And uh, in Matthew 18, then we saw the uh, Ethiopian eunuch, and then we see the jailer here in Philippi uh, using the same profession that would be the uh, profession that basically it's the key to the church. It's the key to eternal life, isn't it? So we want to uh, then move on, and we're going to look at some interesting passages here in our next program, because we do need to go to our Q&A. We're going to look at some interesting passages now about how the demons, how Satan and his followers also see Jesus as the Son of God. A very interesting perspective. But when you, when you think about it, when you study it, it makes imminent sense that they would know who he is because they know he is the, he is the ultimate judge. So we will, we will look at that. As a matter of fact, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4 next time. But now let's um, take the next few minutes in our program and let's, let's move over to our Q&A. And we have been, for several programs, looking at a question from Rich in Indian Springs that has to do with the working of the Holy Spirit during the tribulation period, the seven-year tribulation, or Daniel's 70th week, and his 
it's a very good question. It's a studied question, and that is that uh, if the uh, restrainer of evil, who he says is the Holy Spirit, and I believe that also, and that's in Second Thessalonians chapter two, and he specifically gives us verses seven and eight. He says, if the restrainer of evil or the Holy Spirit is taken out of the way, in other words, removed from the earth, which is why the church is going to be raptured, because the Holy Spirit resides permanently in the church and each member of the church. When the church is raptured, the restrainer of evil is taken out of the way so that the Antichrist can come on the scene and start the seven-year tribulation. Then his question is, how can people be saved during the tribulation? And he specifically uh, gives us the tribulation saints described in Revelation 20, verse 4. How can they be saved if there's no Holy Spirit? Well, there is a Holy Spirit, and we have been going on the earth, I should say, and we've been going through making it actually into a a mini-teaching series here, if you will, during our Q&A time having to do with how the triune Godhead manifests itself Um, on the earth uh, relative to sinful man. And we've looked at God the Father and how he interacted at the very beginning when there was no sin, and he interacted with man again at the very end when there is once again no sin in eternity, as we find at the very end of the book of Revelation. Then we looked at how Jesus was manifested before he came to the earth 2,000 years ago, how he was manifested to man uh, as the angel of the Lord during the um, Old Testament time. And then we've gone to looking at, and then, of course, Jesus came for that short period of his ministry, his life and his ministry on the earth. And then it says the Holy Spirit came. <clears throat> and now we're looking at the Holy Spirit specifically during the um, tribulation period. And we looked at the Holy Spirit in the church and how the church is um, where the Holy Spirit indwells permanently, and we know that right before the beginning of the seven-year tribulation, the church will be raptured out. So now our attention is turning to the unbelievers on the earth at the beginning of the tribulation, after the church is raptured. And we know that everybody on the earth at the beginning of the tribulation is unsaved, because if any of them were saved, they would have gone in the rapture. So it's an unsaved world, and the question is, how can these people be saved? And we started looking into that, and uh, we finished up with a point that God is going to introduce the gospel of the kingdom again, as he did uh, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, when Jesus was offering himself as the king who would come, uh, judge, and set up his kingdom on the earth. So God now again re-offers, because he's a covenant-keeping God, and even though Israel turned their back on him, he will use the tribulation to bring a remnant of the Jews to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So it's his precious remnant that he is going to um, refine out of the tribulation, and he's going to re-offer the gospel of the kingdom, and of course they will accept that. So how does he go, ahead, how does he go about offering the gospel of the kingdom if the church isn't there. So he offers this kingdom himself, and he does it by uh, indwelling with his Holy Spirit two Jewish witnesses. And we know this from Revelation chapter 11. So let's go to Revelation chapter 11 now, and let's read first about the two witnesses. 
And then we're going to read about another group of Jews, righteous Jews, who will receive the Holy Spirit and will share the gospel with the world. They will be the evangelist that God had intended Israel to be from the beginning, but they didn't do it. But now they will, and they'll do it with 12,000 righteous Jewish men from 12, the 12 tribes. So we know the, twi- the 12 tribes come back together. And, of course, they've been dispersed for well over 2,500 years. And we go to Revelation 11 to talk, first of all, about the two witnesses. And we go to um, Revelation chapter 11, and we want to start with verse 3. And it says, And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. 1,260 days in Jewish reckoning, which is what it is in the Bible, uh, is 30-day months, 360-day years. So we're talking three and a half years. So this is the first half of the tribulation. The first half of the tribulation, the 1,260 days, we've got two witnesses that are prophesying um, the good news of the kingdom. Verse 4, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. So we're seeing some um, analogies here uh, for the two witnesses. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire flows out of their mouth and devours their enemies. So if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. So you can see this magnificent power that God has given his two witnesses so that no one can stop them from prophesying for three and a half years. These two witnesses have the power to shut up the sky so that rain will not fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every plague as often as they desire. When they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the abyss will make war with them and overcome them and kill them. So God is going to allow the the um, the beast, the Antichrist, to kill them um, after three and a half years after they have finished their testimony. So they will have done what God had wanted them to do, and then the Antichrist will kill them, thinking that he has defeated them. And uh, it actually says in verse 9, those from the peoples and tribes and tongues and nations will look at their dead bodies for three and a half days and will not permit their dead bodies to be laid in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, because remember these are unbelievers, will rejoice over them and celebrate, and they will send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. But after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God came into them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell upon those who were watching them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here, just like the rapture. Then they went up into heaven in the cloud, and their enemies watched them. So these are the two witnesses that God is going to send in the first three and a half years, specifically to Israel. And we gather from the language there that not a lot of people are going to follow them, but they are offering the gospel to people who will receive it. So we're going to talk about the 144,000 Jewish apostles or Jewish prophets next time as we expand on 
how the Holy Spirit works during the seven-year tribulation. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.